Welcome back to another episode of the Balanced Blues Brothers podcast, probably our most important episode and maybe our most fun one that we're going to have to record this entire season, right? Uh, first time in nine years, Champions League final, we win it, Champions of Europe. I don't know about you guys, but I celebrated way, way too hard on Saturday. Uh, it was a it was a blurry night by the end, and I think that's how it was for most of us. So I think that's going to be a good preview to how things went. The match itself. I was just absolutely, you know, the whole time, edge of your seat. That's how it was for me. Even after we had the one goal lead, I felt that any moment it might uh, it might go back to an even game. But in the balance of things, rewatching it outside of that, you know, initial caught in the moment, really feel that we actually were much better than it looked. Uh, we really were the better team in almost all regards, I think, in my opinion. And I really feel that we can get into this too. Uh, a lot of guys get into it, but I feel that Pep probably had a little bit of a tactical error. Um, maybe a little bit more of this trend that he's seen where he gets late in cup competitions and overthinks a little bit. But before we get going uh, any further, I do want to say we're joined today by the, you know, our normal host, Travis, Ola, and RJ. But we also have a very special host with us today. It's featuring uh, Jay McIntosh. Jay, go ahead and give everybody a chance to introduce yourself and where they can find you at and some of your content that you create. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, firstly, thank you for having me. Congratulations on the good news you told us a second ago, mate, as well. That's great stuff. Yeah, in terms of what I'm doing, go and follow the Chelsea Social, Chelsea Women's Social. I've been the owner of those for about a year now. Uh, go and check out my Every Ever Someday podcast with Daniel Childs. It's doing really well, so support's amazing. So any more of that would be uh, excellent. And if you're in the UK, I'm, I'm on the radio a fair amount on different radio stations at the moment, so make sure to tune in whenever I go live over there. So... Yeah, man. It's good to be here. I'm, I'm happy to meet you, boys. And RJ. Big up, RJ. I've been chatting to RJ for so long, and now I get to chat to him. Yeah, and uh, everybody from us here, you know, same thing. Thanks a lot for coming on. It's, uh, I know we've done a few things, the Chelsea Social together here and there, but uh, great to have you on and get a little more of a, an in-depth discussion, especially after such a you know, positive moment that we had. And, I mean, arguably, the, I would argue easily that's the biggest moment we've had in nine years. But, um, Jay, I'll have you go ahead and start. So just generally, you know, kind of what was your review of the match, things that stood out to you? And, you know, overall, what did Tuchel do to best Pep Guardiola in this one? Yeah, firstly, I mean, I don't know if you guys were fans when we won it in 2012. I, I assume so. I grew up in a household where, you know, all my grandparents, my, my uncles, my aunties, everyone's a Chelsea fan. So the 2012 final was a bit of a, that was that was a very emotional experience. I was 15 at the time and, you know, that was a really beautiful thing because we were real underdogs. And for this one, it felt a bit more clinical, a bit more intellectual. I think for a lot of people, the way that the management style in 2012 is hook or crook, like anything you do to get to that final, whereas this one really seemed like a, a stimulating intellectual experience. Don't get me wrong, I was still an emotional guy when we won, but it's, it's, a, it's a little different experience, but they're both just as valuable and, and really astonishing in their own way. Um, it seems as though this victory is the perfect key and the final thing to top off what are incredible foundations moving forward. Whereas obviously 2012 was the end of a, a journey and end of a story. And, and yeah, the game plan, it, it worked to treat like you can't really go through the middle at Chelsea because it's, it's full of traps. 
we know that Tuchel pushes people out to the sides and, and then tries to suffocate them and win the ball back that way and and play on the break. And it's something that I've I've harked on this point for ages now. There's been an identity crisis, as it were, at Chelsea since Sarri came in. Right, that's when you saw a real polarisation of the fans. A lot, you know, a lot of people wanted to go progressive, and by progressive, that's sort of a, a softer word for you know possession play, um, intricate passing, fast football. And I was I was thinking about it a lot, and I was thinking, you know, the fabric of Chelsea, the most successful Chelsea teams have been resolute defensive sides hard to break down and you break on the counter-attack with speed and you're clinical and that's exactly what we've seen from Tuchel over the last 30 games and and again what we saw against Man City let's let's not get it twisted as well I don't think I think the whole pep tinkering is is a bit overblown obviously he played with with DMs the other two times we won uh Gundogan's played DM in in major games as well so I don't know if it's over tinkering I think Chelsea aren't getting enough credit if I'm honest the, the game plan worked astonishingly and I would say there are a handful of players at least whose best ever Chelsea performance was in that game and that's exactly what you need in those big moments. So I'm sure we'll get into breaking down key players and, and what went on but for me it was it was lovely to, to spend that time with my family. It's nice as a Chelsea fan. Um, I think if you're not a Chelsea fan you don't quite realise the roller coaster of what it is to be a Chelsea fan because from the outside, we're a, a trophy-laden money club. But actually, it's never quite as smooth as it looks. And if you're, if you're involved to the extent where we all are, where you're making content, chatting daily, you're on social media, people know who you are, it's, it's a lot to take in. And, and Tuchel seems to have mellowed the process, as it were. And, and now, what better for you know Thiago Silva, Azpi, Kante, the, Kante, those players that deserve it for their career, but also the young guys coming through, I mean. It's the best thing that could possibly happen to this team. And, and it's happened. So it's a real beautiful moment. And I think it's needed to unify the fans after three or four years of, of not knowing where we are as a club and what we want to be going forward. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think you really said it well from a lot of different angles, from not knowing really who we are, Pep, you know, the narrative that he got the tactics wrong. And that's what, even when I discussed with one of my friends who's an Arsenal fan the next day, that's what he immediately said was that, you know, Pep lost it. Chelsea didn't win it. And that was his immediate thing. I asked him, like, when your thought, what your thoughts on the match were. Uh, Ola, I saw that you, you were kind of commenting on the, the narrative being a little forced on that as far as Pep over tinkering. Do you want to explain it a little more? Yeah, I, I think many, many are trying to give the impression that Pep is the only one who can beat Pep. And I think it's, I, I disagree with the narrative completely. I don't think because overthinking gives the impression he's, he's, he's too smart and he's, he's supremely intelligent like in his own way. And I think maybe he's not as tactically astute as many have given him credit for. I mean, if you look at his track record, he, he's managed Bayern, he's managed Barcelona, he's managed Manchester City. At no point has he ever not had the most or the best talent in the country. So he's never really had to... I mean, when you play with Lionel Messi... The tactics you have to put out are not... You just have to create a platform for Messi to express himself. And you go from there. It's not to discredit the work he has done. It's a different kind of intelligence to manage brilliant players. But I think when it, when it gets down to it, Tukula outsmarted him three times out of three. I mean, I, I wrote an article and one of, one of the comments I got from a City fan was that 
when they played the team they were supposed to play, they, they backstabbed us. And I said, well, the way we were set up in that game, we're playing a different system under a different manager. And our setup in that game was quite open. Think back to, to Sari's 6-0 trashing. Beating us at that time, you can't really call your manager a genius if you beat us the way we were set up that day. I, would, I wouldn't call my manager a genius anyway. So I think it was just a, it's an attempt by, by media to, to push this narrative that it was City's final to lose. It never, it never was. Anyone who looked at the Champions League ground would say that we're as good as City and better in some areas. So it was a much closer match than the media gave it credit for. Many felt Guardiola deserved it. I don't know how you deserve a, a Champions League victory without you know, winning it with the amount of money you spent. He, he bought another centre-back going into this season after all the four he has bought since he since he arrived. So not just a center back, but he brought he bought in uh, or brought in uh Ruben Diaz who won player of the year in England. So I mean it, he brought in a really, really good center back. The 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 build up to the to the final ma- made it look like all Chelsea have to do is just show up. City would play their normal game and win. And the, the defensive midfield narrative is just silly. It, I find it really silly because they, they played two DMs against us in the FA Cup. They lost. So the same result. They played one DM against us in the league. They say it wasn't their, their first 11. It wasn't Tuko's first 11 either. And they still lost that. And whatever master plan Gadiola thought they had, he should have deployed it in the final. And I suspect that's what he did. And it still didn't work. So maybe Tuko is just that good. And maybe, you know, it's not Guardiola shooting himself in the foot. Maybe Guardiola just tried what he knew and it, it just didn't work. I, I always hate the whole mystique around Guardiola. And I can't really remember a time I haven't. But, I mean, so much about him is just the narrative around him. You know, he makes the greatest teams in the world. This year, we were hearing, again, Manchester City. Is this the best English team we've ever seen? And then Chelsea knocked them out of FA Cup. Chelsea delayed them winning the title, which really isn't much, but it's something. And then we beat them in the Champions League. All week, no one was talking about Chelsea, which is probably what helped us. You know, we're a team that likes to be the underdog. We like to be outside of the pressure. And we had none. We had no pressure all week because everyone just assumed Pep Guardiola, greatest manager that's ever existed, was going to do it again. He hasn't done it since he had Messi in his team. So I don't really know where that comes from. But on the overthinking it, it it's not entirely untrue, but it, it has some merit. He's done this 4-2-4 without a striker thing before. We've seen it before. It's not like other times he's quote-unquote overthought and he's done like a 3-5-2 or a three diamond two for no reason. Like this was something we've seen before. And I think the idea was he knew he didn't need to outnumber us at the back. He only needed to cover one wing back at a time and the three center backs because we kind of play out of a flank. We don't really switch the play at the back. So I think that was the plan, but it fell apart when it, it basically created all these one V one situations. And we were amazing. So 
as soon as we switched the play over to Rudiger, Rudiger got to Chilwell, Chilwell's him out. All of a sudden, you know, Kyle Walker doesn't know where he's supposed to do. John Stones decides to come out from out, but that was a terrible idea because they gave Kai Havertz the space. And you know, none of this should have been a surprise to Pep because this is the exact same stuff he tries to do to opponents. He tries to create these over and under loads and get his players free for tapping, basically. And just the tactics he used trying to match us up in 1v1 situations, that's not something he likes to do. He likes to have numbers. So he kind of worked himself into a corner that way. But at the same time, you know, if you're targeting Osvaldo Cueto and Reese James, and Reese James puts in seven tackles to your team's entire eight, like there's not much you can really do about that. You can't do much when Rudiger comes flying over and makes a last-ditch tackle. But, I mean, really, it was just every Chelsea player just did what they had to do. Like, I could not fault any of those performances. They were all pretty much perfect. And I think that does go back to what Jay was talking about earlier. Like, this is the team that Jose Mourinho created. Like, not the exact players, but the culture of it. And we tried to step away from that with Mauricio Sarri after everything that went wrong with Conte's season. And, you know, Lampard was our attempt to bring it back, but Lampard was a little more progressive and forward thinking than what we were used to. And then Tuchel comes in and not only does he keep the best parts of Sari and Lampard, but he gets us that defensive solidarity back. He gets us that grit that, you know, we're not going to be broken down. And if, even if we concede, we're going to keep fighting for it. There, there are a whole lot of ideas flying around like now, but like, you know, Tuchel on the sideline, standing by and just cheering the fans on, just demanding more. And this isn't my idea. This was Nate Hoffman's from Pride of London. You know, that reminds you of Conte. That reminds you of like Jose Mourinho going crazy on the sideline. It, it wasn't pretty, but we absolutely had control of that game. You know, we had 40% possession and we had complete control against Manchester City, quote-unquote, best team in the world for 90 minutes. Yeah, and, and to build off of a little bit what you're going from there, you know, talking about first the, the players that we did have that had undoubtedly, you know, their best performance ever in the Champions League. I mean, Rudiger, in that final, they had their best performance. So Rudiger really stands out for me. As Filiqueta really, I mean, he's had a lot of great performances over his now illustrious career, and there's only two trophies left to win which are the, the Club World Cup and the Super Cup. Um, and he would have won every trophy possible at, at Chelsea Football Club. So, I mean, I think that you're, the legacies of some of these players really changed with that game, right? You had some of them that were on the fringe, um, as well as some that were already firmly, you know, cult hero or, or pseudo legend. But I think with Azpilicueta, and I said this to a couple other people earlier today, is that in my opinion, Azpilicueta's like, you know, his kind of reputation or his career now is kind of up there with the old guard, with Drogba, Terry, Lampard, Czech, Ashley Cole. And that's because the simply fact, the simple fact is he's won everything more or less. And he's he's been the captain throughout uh, many key transitional phases of the club itself in terms of the years, the managerial turnover and the squad turnover itself. But he's kind of been this constant that's always there. He's shuffled around 
from playing left back to right back to right wing back to playing center back. You know, he's just kind of been that guy that does everything for us. And he even did play in the Champions League under Mourinho. I think he was played it. It was it was either right right mid or left mid in one of those games. So he's it, he really has just done everything for us. And I can't give enough credit to him. And I think it was such a nice thing to see a culmination of of all of that into one game um, to where he really cements his legacy. And, you know, seeing him run up there and, and show the trophy and lift it up with the whole team was a, uh, was a moment that I was really happy for him um, because there has been recently as, you know, last season or even a few seasons before there had been a quite, quite a bit of criticism of Azpilicueta and his leadership style. But I think all of that has been rightfully put to bed after the match against city and winning the cup. Before uh, we, we'll go on to the second part of this, which is kind of talking a little more player centric uh, about the match. So I think obviously uh, standout players, we just talked about all the defenders, but if you want to move a, a ahead of the defenders, I think that your standouts have to be obviously in goal. Conte was just incredible the entire time, whether he shows up on the score sheet or not, he's always making an impact. And additionally, right. As Jay alluded to, this is arguably Torchino's best performance in a Chelsea kit. And on top of that, if you look at his defensive metrics, he had some of the best ones with interceptions and tackles in the Champions League for Chelsea this season. So he was he was pretty immense. Um, and a lot of times when it matters, even though he does have this potential to drop, you know, eight good performances and then two poor performances. So it was good that we were on the right side of that bounce um, in this. And then I, I would say as well. The things that Kai Havertz did and that in overall the Timo, his movement throughout was just incredible. His positioning was incredible. He did have kind of the scuffed shot that stuck out to me and was a moment, you know, I was in the pub and just kind of just like felt so defeated. And I was like, that was our chance. You blow those in a Champions League final. There's no way we can we can overcome this. But he continued to fight. And I think that's the best thing with him. I see resiliency. And I think that's the biggest thing for a player that I look for as far as a mentality is. How do you respond to adversity? And I think it's well established now that Timo Werner responds to adversity probably much better than most people. Um, he's still willing to be in the firing line despite his lack of confidence. Um, and that's that's a big signal for me, as even as a, I bet most coaches would like to have that sort of mentality in their squad. And then going, obviously, Kai Havertz becomes a legend with that goal. And then obviously, Mason Mount, let's give enough credit. We can't give enough credit to this kid. You know, he's been criticized throughout. He's not creative enough. He doesn't play through balls, X, Y, Z. And I think that, you know, to be creative, decisive from the middle third with a through ball to break every, you know, two lines of City's defense, I think that was such a great moment to finally kind of quiet that crowd and give, you know, the the credit that our player of the season is due and to kind of stop those, you know, those doubts that people have about him. So I'll open it up to anybody that wants to respond from there. For me, it's about savoring the moment because I think a few of you guys touched on it earlier. Jay, in particular, a couple of words that stood out to me was the roller coaster season that was, but it's actually really the roller coaster experience of being a Chelsea fan more broadly. And those that don't know me for many years, I actually did have hair, but becoming a Chelsea fan slowly compromises that. But that's fine. I'm happy to sacrifice that to see a couple of more stars on our jersey. But overall, from a from a gut feeling point of view, I felt that the Champions League campaign and winning it, it felt right. I felt justified. I, I felt different to the 2012 campaign where while we won that competition based on character, courage and sheer bravery and determination, 
which really signalled the end of an era of the golden generation, if it were, whereas this generation is obviously the start of something special, touch wood, whereas when you dissect this campaign, I think it would be fair to say that while there are there are some parallels between here and 2012, there are some very stark contrasts and very big differences, most notably the level of comfort and control that we had from the beginning of this campaign right through to the end. So anyone, anyone that has the idea of trying to downplay or discredit this win, given that some managers might have overthought things or the pathway to the final might not have been as difficult as some others, I have to say that's in one ear and out the other because I don't give any credence to that. I felt we were strong in the group stages under Frank Lampard, so tick to the contribution he had because he did. it is a team effort overall, so past and present, so it's important to acknowledge that. And then when Tuchel came in, he done an absolutely marvellous job in galvanising the squad. And what you said earlier, Travis Tyler, it's about really focusing on the foundations and re-establishing that rear guard and channeling in that Mourinho-esque Chelsea of old to really focus on, especially in cup competitions where it's a lot more vulnerable in terms of the outcome. It's not a 38-game season. Getting, those, getting the defensive side of the equation is absolutely fundamental. As they say, defence wins titles. But in our season, given that we weren't realistically going to win the Premier League title, the title of most concern was the Champions League title. So that really resonated with me. From this game point of view, I, I did think it was a little bit strange that they didn't have Rodri or Fernandinho start. But given what we saw in the previous two games, I can understand why Pep, from his perspective, wanted to try to do something different because I don't think it's him overthinking it. I think it's him trying to respond to a situation. So I agree with you, Jay, in the sense of it wasn't the fact that City were overthinking things and Chelsea just capitalised and got lucky. It wasn't lucky. This was a combination of a team that's had the number on another team three games in a row. But more importantly, it was the players delivering a, a true Jekyll and Hyde sort of performance in the sense of we've had so many up and down performances, we truly saved our best for last. And you couldn't have timed it any better than that. And what I loved about it was while the game ebbed and flowed in a manner in which we could expect in the sense of City were expected to be proactive with the ball and dominate territory, etc. It wasn't as if that we just absorbed pressure and suffered with no purpose. We were very strategic in the way in which we went about trying to attack City's chinks in their armour. And what can we say? On one hand, we needed to get the system and the actual tactics right, which we can all agree we did, tick. But it also required the players to deliver the best performance of their professional careers today. So it was all the stars aligning. And in fact, there was actually two stars now aligning for Chelsea to win their second Champions League. So I'll just leave it at that. Oh, that's a very poetic ending, mate. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to expand on what RJ said there, which was, Essentially, and it's something obviously I touched on as well, that Chelsea winning in 2012 was was essentially what you hear on Twitter is the intangible things, right? The mentality, grit, steel, emotion. And it's not to say that wasn't present in the, uh, in the win on the weekend, but it's, it's a different feeling, right? 
And I think it's a really important point to make that RJ touched on there. And I try my best to expand on it, but we've argued, under, not we as in us, each other, but with people on social media, right? You'll see a brigade of, of fans argue that mentality doesn't really mean much in it. And, and we've all seen, we've all seen it. And, and, theref- and therefore others such as myself have said, well, actually it matters an awful lot. If you were to watch um, the Amazon documentary of Manchester City a few years ago, you'd hear Pep specifically mention that the only difference between world-class players and players that are very close is the mentality because the skill level is, you know, obviously Messi excluded. <laughs> the skill level is not too, not too far wide. And it's really important as fans to take these themes into the future now because we've had one final that was won on mentality, grit, steel and passion and a second final that was won intellectually with tactics with the right people in the right places. And it's what it suggests to me is that actually you can be successful on both fronts. So a merger of the two is exactly what's needed in a squad. And I just hope that these two wins of the Champions League in hindsight can help people understand that mentality is, is needed, as is technique, as is a tactical understanding. And, and going from there, I think the fans will be able to unify a bit more around common causes that, it's quite surprising that we have to debate that mentality is an important thing for elite athletes. And then I would say besides Mendy, not through any of his fault, besides Thiago Silva due to injury and maybe Timo, but his movement was so good. I think every other player on the pitch had their best game in a Chelsea kit. And that's so important to remember because City had, you know, they had chances, but you saw Aspi twice throw his whole body in the way of the chance. Rudiger done it, AC done it. Sure, well done it. Every defender made a game-winning tackle there. Anybody else have anything to build off of that or what stuck out to them or any analysis they had from that? Uh, I'll just throw a quick one out for Christensen, who came on, came on as a sub in a Champions League final, and we didn't miss a beat. I mean, I feel really bad for Thiago Silva for having come off, given all he's done. And, you know, all, all the stuff that's gone on in the last two years with the Champions League with him. But, you know, Christensen came on right where we left off. And even just a little bit beyond that, you know, Christensen from the Chelsea Academy, Reese James and Mason Mount, from all from the Chelsea Academy. Billy Gilmore was on the bench. He didn't get to come on. But, you know, from Billy to Willie, we got a good squad going here. Like, if we can keep that pipeline, like, it doesn't need to be a lot every year. If we can just get one academy player into the first team every year, we'll be just golden. And, you know, Christensen came a few years ago. James and Mount came last year. Um, Depending on who you ask, they really clicked this year. But, you know, keep this going. Like, teams that create dynasties, they've been doing it based on players that came out of their academy. I mean, Brian Munich, they have Moeller. They had Philip Lom for a long time. They had uh, Schweinsteiger. Now they have Kimmich. Barcelona had all their guys. Even Real Madrid had a few from their academy they got through. Like, that's the stuff we need to be focusing on. It's also just, it's just a generally smart move if you're a club aiming to make sure you're financially safe. And, and, even though we're a big money club, you still have to balance those books and make sure you get it right. It's not all about spending. And 
And what this Champions League victory does is it really validates the, the level of coaching at the Chelsea Academy because these are not experienced Academy players, really. Not, not When you see Ramos lift the Champions League, you, you, you see there a, a seasoned professional guy that has learned from the best over years and years of experience. This is Mount's second season at top-level football. Christensen has been there and thereabouts for a while, but he's never been consistent like he has really this season till his injury. Reese was playing in the midfield at Wigan. I, I was working at Portsmouth Football Club when I was at university and watched him play there and it was just unbelievable. And, and then obviously Tammy and the rest of them, it's great to see, but it's also, if, if you want to buy a Chelsea Academy player, you're going to have to pay an awful lot of money, especially if they're first team minutes. Say, for example, if we wanted to sell Tammy now, that's costing you 35 to 50 million for a player like that, no question. And he's one of the lower end priced ones, which is perhaps unfair, but it's the case. So it's about making sure players like Tino Livermento and Tino Andrewin get their appropriate loans that are smart loans that allow them to get regular minutes for a team that benefits them stylistically. And this is the problem we've had with Ampadu, for example, where we thought Leipzig would work, but he didn't get the minutes. You thought Sheffield would work, but they collapsed. Where he's not got the moves that have worked out and haven't benefited him stylistically, and he's going to suffer from that. Whereas you perhaps look at Conor Gallagher and you think, well, he might not make it in this Chelsea team, but he's certainly going to have a Premier League career because he got put in a position and given the freedom to express himself and, and, and to do what he's got to do. So, you know, if, if, if you're Chelsea and you, you've spotted a, an 18-year-old in the academy like Livermento, for example, who won Academy Player of the Year, let's make sure from now until he's 21, like 2021, that he gets the appropriate loans that would allow him to play in the exact position you want him to be cultivated into over the next five to 10 years. And if you don't, decide to put him into the first team, you're still going to have an absolutely outstanding player because he won player of the academy at Chelsea, which is the best academy in world football, arguably. And you have these players doing it year in, year out, and, and you can make 30 million a year doing that, just off of those players alone, if you wanted to sell them, let alone the ones that are good enough to stay. Yeah, I think that's a good point. From my perspective, there's, there's two sides of the equation. First is in terms of your, your incomings and your outgoings, just like any balance sheet. So when you invest in your academy, and if they go on those smart loans, as you say, Jay, and it's one of two things, they'll, depending on how they go, they'll come back and hopefully make a name for themselves at the club, which is the nice narrative of what we're all after, or we can't fit everybody in the team. That's just natural attrition that occurs. And hopefully the, the lesser of the two outcomes would be we sell them for a good, nice profit, which in turn feeds into our capability to invest in higher quality purchases. But I think the important nuance I want to make is that the importance of being able to generate money for all these strong academy products is because it helps offset some of the non-sensational purchases we do make. You name Zappa Costa, I'll name a few others, but in the spirit of how we're feeling, I, want, I wouldn't want to hurt anybody's feelings at the moment. But I think the overarching point is for as good as the business we have been doing on the academy front, it probably somewhat offsets some of the not-so-good business we've done in terms of buying some fringe players or other squad players. So I think we've really got to work on minimising the errors and cutting out some of the waste on that front. I do have a bit more confidence 
funnily enough, since Frank's come in with some of these medium to longer term purchases that are going to be more fruitful, i.e. some of the superstars in waiting, the Kai Havertz of the world, etc. But I think also what I'd like to add, which is a, a connected but slightly different point, is that hopefully the club strikes the right balance in buying quality players that fit the club's mantra and not go all out in terms of what the manager wants because we've seen the perils of over-investing in a single manager, especially in an environment at Chelsea where it's a bit of a um, carousel, if you know what I mean. It's a bit of a topsy-turvy environment. So why would you invest all your eggs in someone that's got an average lifespan of 18 to 24 months at the helm? So I think we've really got to get that right as a club. But that said, Tuchel has earned the right to get some money to play with and has built off the foundation set by Frank. I think we do have the best academy in the country by a mile. But there's something that we've also done that we also should get a lot of credit for, which is our the loans. Because many, many, many players need game time. They're really not... For me, they don't even need to to play in a certain system. They just need to play. Because academy, attacking players especially, they just need to, to play enough games. When they play enough games, they get into a lot of attacking scenarios. They get into a lot of situations. They learn from that. Especially players who are, are going to, to turn out to be very creative. I think Mr. Mount is one that, that could get very creative in the future. Even, even to the point of a Kevin De Bruyne. And I, I say that confidently because his technique, when you see him, when you see him pass the ball, it's clear that he is, his technique is very good. But the thing with attacking and, and that kind of skill is you don't develop that by starting one, one out of four games or one every four games. You need consistent playing time and you need a, an environment that allows you to do that. If you play for Sari, for instance, Sari tells you when you get the ball past to the person on your left, when you get the ball past to the person in front of you, you can't make enough long balls to master the art of passing when you play for someone like Sari. So how we've actually brought up this talent to resume spent the whole season at Wigan, and I think they even got relegated. I can't really remember. I think they finished bottom four, bottom six. But... That development was very important for him because when he finally came back to the first team, yes, yes, he still had a lot of a lot of things to work through. They they are not going to be the complete player by 2021. Not everyone is Lionel Messi, but we have done very well in in developing talent, and it's a good point too because the the thing about buying buying players to to be taught in in the squad depth it just makes no sense because if you are buying a player that you are not going to start, it means you might as well put an academy player there that you don't need to spend money on anyway. And if you are going to need a player when the first two starters are injured, then you can you can still put an academy player there. You can can do a job one or two games. It, it, it doesn't have to be, you know. Every every big club has players that they can count on to do a job for them. Not everybody is going to be a starter. That's why squads are 25, 26. Not everyone will be a starter, but each each player just has to be good enough to step in here and there, and the Champions League was it was the perfect was the perfect thing because there was a, already a lot of talk about the mentality of the squad. There was a lot of talk about 
who 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 shouldn't who shouldn't be in this squad? There was a lot of talk about weak-mindedness. There was a lot of talk about, you know, I mentioned, I, I mentioned myself that maybe, maybe we are relying too much on, on, on youth for as being key players. But it's clear that when we have a manager who who knows what he's doing, and we have a manager who knows how to apply everyone. It we noticed how Tuku didn't just send out all his, his should I say technically gifted players. Ziyech has scored twice against Manchester City. Ziyech never came on. I mean, we would have expected, oh, Ziyech knows how to score against City. Put Ziyech there, put Pulisic, put Werner, put Mount, put Harvard, just throw all of them out there like Gadela did. But Tuku knows how to apply everybody's skill set. And that is what young players would also use to develop. They also need that to, to, to build themselves because direction is, is, is key. For a player that is that is growing up, and we've just we've just managed our 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 academy very well, and it's beautiful to see them win a Champions League. Really, it doesn't get bigger than that. It really doesn't. No, and I think this is a kind of a good springboard for the next kind of major topic, which is you know we we win the Champions League, and now you know the season is really kind of almost it's still a collective, right? But it very much is similar to the 2011-2012 season, where it felt like it was a tale of two halves. Where it was, you know, there's a lot of parallels. I know they're not even within just kind of the overall essence of this season, but also if you, if you want to get into sort of the nitty gritty details, you probably have seen CFC Dubois thread by now. If you haven't, I don't, I don't know how you've escaped it that long. But um, I think this is a really good springboard, though. So within the context of this season, right, we kind of saw this foundation laid by by Frank Lampard, where there's there's this youth integration going on, and that's both a matter of circumstance as well as these guys are actually good enough. And we're, we're finally seeing that. And we can see some of these great younger players moved on in the past, specifically in the Mourinho era. But now we have this, we kind of seem to have this pathway with Reese Christensen, Mount, right? Gilmore is going to be a top talent. He may not be quite ready yet, but he's going to be that next guy. I think that takes that huge step forward for us and, and fills in that midfield spot for years to come. So I think that we look at the context of how this is going to go in the offseason, right? It's rumored we're going to go after you know, maybe two or three giant signings in that tier one best that we can get bracket, striker, center, defensive mid, possibly that right side of defender as well as what I've been hearing. But putting this in the whole context of the season, do you think that, you know, how do we go from here uh, as well as, you know, how overall do you rate this season? In both, not only with what Lampard did, right? Because they're and like I always say, that the club is a collective, right? So it's kind of a all successes is shared, and all failure is also shared as well. So I think there's still credit to what he did there, um, especially with trying, you know, showing a, a path to players, right? Still played Timo Werner a lot, so on and so forth. So I guess that's kind of just my open question: is do you think that this path continues down with seeing more of this, you know, this mix of this youth on the bench? And we're going to continue to get these, you know, massive signings, almost adopting sort of without Real Madrid having a bench of Galacticos, we're going to sign our own sort of quote unquote Galacticos and then use a lot of these youth players as depth. Do you think we're going to get away from the 30 million pounds Zapacosta players? And I, th- I think that's where I would go from this. I think this season for me, recapping, shows that not only are we able to win with great players, but five of our starters, including Christensen, that makes six. Of those players that took the field in the Champions League were 25 or younger. 
So I think that this isn't just, this may not just be a trend. This might be really the foundation of something, you know, of a, of a new emerging giant in football. And I don't, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself here um, as I know we are prone to do as, as fans, but that's my springboard, I guess, for you guys to go off from. That's how I see it. That's sort of where I'm at with this. Yeah. I, for me, it's, and I said this before too, cool. And I can understand why people would want him to be fully backed. But my issue is, obviously, since 2003, no manager's been here for three seasons. So I feel that it's really important from the board to, to have a, a plan and then a manager that supports that plan, they do it together. So obviously, support Tuchel, but realistically, we need to be signing players that aren't system players. And, and that's why I get critical of Jorginho or other players like that, because if the system doesn't save them, they're very easily exposed. And I don't really want too many players like that to be bought in just specifically for one manager system for then eight to 15 months down the line, they've been sacked and there's a new person in that doesn't really rate them and you've wasted however many millions. It's, um, it's a tough one. Just going, just going back to the season, tough for Frank, but he's, he's a legend. Everyone loves him. So I'm not going to say much of a bad word, but Tuchel came in and, and yeah, changed the game for us, which is brilliant. I'd like to add as well that, the women's team were really, really good this year. And it's it's very easy, especially now. At any any other time, it's normal anyway. But especially now, they're not going to get spoken about as much because the men's team are the, the bigger of the teams. They've just won the, the Champions League. But the women's team domestically dominant again. And I think that the, the, the influence that Emma Hayes and that women's team will have on Chelsea is massive. And Chelsea women have built a world-class team and then just bought in one or two players every season that keeps improving. And if you're not, if you're not going to roll with the punches at the highest level, then you get sold to a, to a different team. And that's actually how you, you maintain a top placer in, in, in football, whether domestic, well, both domestically and on the European stage and, and expect Chelsea women to win the league again for a third time in a row next season to be challenging for the Champions League again. They're an amazing team. And, and that gives me hope for the sort of Tuchel era of Chelsea that we might actually change the way we're buying players. We're not just buying random squad players now in the hopes that one of them kicks on. We're going for, you know, correct talent. I'm going to get this out there, yeah, because I've taken... I, I genuinely must have had about 30 messages this morning on, on Twitter and WhatsApp because on, the, on, a, on a few podcasts, on video... And do you know what? I actually think I said... I don't know if I said it on TV, but I definitely said it on the radio that I... <laughs> I said Adama Chori is the most overrated player in the world. And now he's linked with Chelsea. Um, I do think it's, I think it's an interesting one. Maybe as a right wing back, it can work. I back Tuchel, but it seems maybe Reese's uh, long-term career might be at centre-back if we would sign a right wing back, which would be uh, interesting. I don't think it's necessarily what we'd expect, but if, if his potential is at centre-back, then it's at centre-back and, and trust the process. So it's a good season. Let's not forget domestically, not great. I fully, fully expect us to be second at least. And they're the expectations that every Chelsea fan has and should have. So yeah, having to rely on Spurs to get us into the top four on the final day, having not been able to do it was, was a real shame. And, and I, was, I was obviously fortunate enough to be sent to the, the Chelsea game by three, uh, along with Jam, uh, to Chelsea-Leicester. And you thought, well, we've got the win there and it was great having the fans back. We'll, we'll be able to kick on. And again, Villa played really well and and it ended the season on a bit of a sour note. And if we hadn't won the Champions League, 
the the discourse would be massively different. And I remember tweeting at the time saying, don't forget that winning a Champions League doesn't mean that there are major changes still needed in this team. Both personnel, attitudes, there are 20 players that are out on loan at the moment that we could get at least 5 million for, up to 35 million. Those players, I, I done a, Daniel and I done a podcast episode on it. And seven in the first team that I would, I would have sold. I'm now maybe a bit less, but there's a massive, massive summer and and January transfer window coming up. And what I think will help Chelsea in the long run, because we've we've spoken this season. Well, I I, I certainly have about how the squad's been slightly bloated. Right, there are lots of players everywhere that are of a decent enough standard that are all competing for minutes. But actually, the Euro starts in a number of days and then post Euros the, the Premier League starts on the 14th of August and then you have a, a World Cup that rolls and an African Cup of Nations so you've got AFCON at the end of the year I think and then the World Cup the year after and then you're going to be rolling back into the Premier League and Champions League post World Cup and actually a big squad is now more important than ever it's just making sure that you say to players when signing them we're, we're giving people shared minutes. And if you don't want to buy into that, which some players won't, let's be real. Actually, quite a few players probably won't be too comfortable with that to begin with, but you can convince them and say, well, look, in 30 days, we, well, 30 games, we won a Champions League trophy rotating the team. Rotation is now one of the most important things in football and it will be due to COVID and everything else for, for the next three to five years, at least, if not more going forward, the way that the athletes are conditioned now. So we're, we're in there with one of the best teams in the world, one of the best squads. And I just hope Chelsea intelligently add to that list of players and get rid of the players that are, are not at their peak anymore because it's just how you maintain the top, right? Yeah, I would, I would kind of like us to do business like we did last summer, but to a lesser extreme. And by that, I mean, if the manager says, okay, we need, last year it was a left back and he wanted Ben Chilwell, get him Ben Chilwell. Don't, go and try to get somebody else that he doesn't want because we've done that game before and it doesn't work. And then on top of that, last summer we were very opportunistic. I don't think Kai Havertz was a target when the summer started. I don't really think Timo Werner was. But when they became available, we went ahead and got them because we figured they'd be able to fit somehow. So looking at this summer... I mean, it's pretty clear we need someone to be able to put the goals in. And maybe next, next year, Timo Werner figures it out. Maybe Kai Havertz figures it out. I, I still would, yeah, I would still would very much like us to go get a striker that we know will score goals and not settle for less. You know, we're linked to Lukaku. That's the strongest one. Let's go get Lukaku. Don't, don't turn around and settle for, you know, Andre Silva or, Beloti or you know whatever flavor of the month people seem to have you know just if if that's the case I'd rather we bring uh, Broja back from Vitesse and just roll with him as a backup I'd rather we just stick with who we have like from the team from the academy from the lone army than you know drop 50 60 70 million on a player we don't we're not really convinced by so the striker is the main one. I kind of think we need a little bit more creativity. So I wouldn't be opposed to like a Jaden Sancho coming in, but that doesn't seem to be high on the priority list. Uh, it very much seems to be striker 
center back and a wing back, supposedly. You know, I, I think, you know, spending however much on like two or three excellent, amazing targets would be great. Other than that, just use our academy, use our loan army and fill in the gaps. And we're going to have gaps that we don't really expect. I mean, we know Sammy Abraham's leaving. I think it probably is safe bet that someone like Kurt Zuma's leaving. Uh, I'd keep an eye on Ziyech leaving. And we still don't really know if Billy Gilmore or even Hudson Odo have loans in the pipeline. So those are all things we'll have to consider as the summer goes on. But more than anything, I, and I wrote this right after the game ended while I could still think relatively straight. The last two times we were on the verge of like greatness were after 14-15 and after 16-17. And in those summers after, Jose Mourinho asked for certain players, players. Antonio Conte asked for certain players. They didn't get what they asked for. They got bargain buys. They got you know, good enough options that weren't really what they needed. And what was supposed to be a dynasty fell apart. So hopefully, third time's a charm, we've learned that lesson. And if Thomas Tuchel goes asking for somebody, just get him that player. And we said this with Lampard too, but you know, just have a manager we can build around for a few years. And Tuchel's earned, earned it, so let's see what happens. Yeah, just to build on to that point, Jay, because I know the team at the Chelsea Social do a terrific job in terms of their coverage of the club as a whole. It's a, it is a club, it's not a team. And what I love about being part of the TCS crew is that nice coverage across the different teams within the broader club dynamics. So great shout outs. From my perspective, how I look at the season, it's almost like from an economist's point of view, because that's sort of my background and business background, is that it's almost like a, a standard cycle where the, from a Chelsea men's team point of view, you had a, an upswing, a peak, a downswing, and back up to a, an eventual peak at the very end. So we've had, we've had the benefit of a full cycle, or in, in, in non-business terms, it's a, it's a genuine roller coaster, and use that analogy there again, because... It's two phases. There was the Frank Lampard regime, the Thomas Tuchel regime. So under the Frank Lampard regime, and those that know me know that I'm not. I'm usually this is the Balance Blues Bubbles podcast. But if there was a a weakness from my balance point of view, it's my opinions on Frank Lampard. I am I'm a devout fan, but I will be honest and say that even though he's enjoyed some incredible success from the moment he was brought in to help us navigate through some rocky waters and achieve top four objective and bringing some of the superstars that have had a starring role to help achieve the rail yet again, there is a, a sensible argument or debate around was it too soon for our club legend? And while I would say perhaps at the same time, I'll never regret the fact that he joined and I feel like he had a, an important role to help me set up the foundation of what we've achieved today. So I think it's important we recognise the positive contribution he's made. So during the first part of the Lampard era for this season that just passed, it's important to recognise that while he had some difficult times towards the back end, which there are varying reasons as to why that happened, which we don't have time to unpack. It's also important to appreciate that part of this season with him at the hill 
we did have a 17-game unbeaten streak. There were some good times. So while all the focus was on the not-so-great times towards the end of his tenure and all of the great work Thomas Tuchel did, which I'll touch on in a moment, it's important to look at the season as a whole. And when we look at the season as a whole, the record will show that the first part of our season, we actually started off quite brightly. It's just that the roads got really rough, which happens to Chelsea, to be quite frank, for a bad, bad part, I know. But at the end of his era, the roads got rough and Abramovich made a decision like he's done many seasons before Frank. So that, that happens. That's okay. But when Thomas Tuchel come in, he done a fantastic job, absolutely fantastic job in harmonising the group under pressure, getting the basics right, and really channeling the strengths and minimising the weaknesses or vulnerabilities of our team in order to focus on our top objectives. And like you said, Jay, it was a bit unfortunate in the manner in which we reasserted ourselves, got ourselves comfortably back in the top four, only to depend on a very bitter rival and rescuing it. But here's the optimist in me. I almost felt like the nice arc out of all of this is that while it was disappointing Tottenham rescued our top four hope, it's almost to be a typical Chelsea thing to go and win the Champions League to say, you're not that relevant, Tottenham. You didn't affect the outcome because we qualified anyway. So keep thinking you're important, but you're not that important. So go back to obscurity where you belong. But in all seriousness, it was the season that was, in many respects, to avoid a, a late cliche. But overall, a good season from the point of view of we did have high expectations. I think we wanted to win the treble because my expectations at the start of the season were a comfortable top four finish, which we didn't do, but we got there in the end, and a, and a trophy, which we did win, albeit it was a trophy that I had the least confidence in. So overall, great to overachieve in some elements but a little bit disappointing to underachieve in some elements. So overall, a net positive benefit, but probably something we do need to build on next season if, if we wanted to progress as a club. I, I don't really, I mean, everyone has said everything there is to say, but I, I think it's, I think our squad is, is okay. I think we do need to shed some players. Maybe, maybe a loan for Hudson Odoi. Emerson, Emerson should be sold. I think our squad is 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 perfect, especially if we're sticking with a, a three, four, two, one, or three, four, three, whatever you want to call it. But I, I don't think we need to to sell as much as as we think. I think we need a, a, another central midfielder. Any any from a Declan Rice to Wilfred Ndidi to Chouameni, we need we need a, a, another central midfielder because we have only three in rotation. I think Gilmore needs a loan. Not because I don't think he can do a job. I don't think Tukul is going to give him as much playing time as he needs. He needs some minutes. He needs to play. And he can't get that when... I mean, he can't wait for three three central midfielders to get injured before he gets game time. He needs to play somewhere where he'll get more consistent minutes. Okay, yes, we do We do need to sell. Uh, we have Barkley on loan. We have Bakayoko. We have Mitsubashwai. Yes, many of the players on loan... I think we should just we should just sell them. Some some who, who could obviously do a job for us, but I think generally, I mean, Marcos Alonso played the two legs against Atletico Madrid, and we kept the clean sheet in both games. We what we know is that Tuchel knows how to apply each player to to a game plan, and they will fit they will fit right in there. He doesn't need he wouldn't tell Chihuahua to do the job of Alonso, and he won't tell Alonso to do the job of Chihuahua. 
So he knows how to manage the players that he has. Obviously, if he thinks there are players he would like to, that will help us get to where we need to be, then he definitely deserves to get those players. But I don't think we need to shake the squad so much. I don't particularly think we need to go back to a back four, per se, because why would we want to? We have the defensive solidity that Chelsea was built on. So why would we want to go back to a back four and start trying to build this kind of defensive solidity again? I think overall, it was a good season. It was a difficult season for everyone, but it was a good season because we there were slips and there were it was top shit of at points. But we made in my, in my opinion, we made the right decision to let go of Frank Lampard because yes, we need to stick to a manager and a long-term plan, but we shouldn't do that to just any manager. There's a reason Liverpool didn't just get Steven Gerrard and just put him on a five-year five-year project. So we, we, we made the right choice and it, it has shown. Now we need to make the right signings. It, the right signings may be fewer signings, but we need to make the right signings. We can't keep going out to get just any cheap, any cheap option that, that gets on the market. Overall, it was, it was a good season. And we should congratulate ourselves, even though we didn't do as well as we should have done. I think it's, you know, so many great points brought up in terms of the, you know, overall outlook, as well as compartmentalizing, as well as looking at players, as well as looking at the trajectory the club needs to be on. I think really a lot has been said here. And I, I did, don't really disagree with anything that's been said. I think a really good analysis there, guys. So again, I want to you know thank all of our regular hosts, Travis, Ola, RJ again. Uh, it's great having you on. I know there's some sacrifice going on here with time zones. Um, and again, special thanks to you, Jay, for coming on. Um, again, if you if you didn't listen in the first half, go back and listen to, to where he was talking about where you can find him at. Give him a give him a follow. Check out some of his content. One of the guy, best guys out there, and also admin of our Chelsea social team so uh, owner uh, lad owner come on now come uh, on you're the, oh, my bad my bad my bad <laughs> he's our owner that. he's our owner again uh, yeah so uh, you know that'll be the end of the episode uh, for listeners out there we do have uh, coming up in the off season we're going to be doing a Euro kind of special previewing and talking about and analyzing all the Chelsea players so keep a lookout for that and until next time keep the blue flag flying high